0: Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Matthew chapter 24, I want to look at verse 14. We'll look at one passage here and then we're going to move on. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, it reads this way, This good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed, everyone say will be, will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The, the coming of the end uh, hinges upon the testimony and the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gospel of the kingdom of God being released into all the world. And it says that it will be proclaimed. It's not in question. It's not in doubt. It's not up for debate. It's not optional. The word will go forth to the ends of the earth, to all the world, to all the nations, and then the end will come. So we know this, that the gospel will be preached. The word will be ministered. Okay? There, there is not going to be one person on the face of this planet that at the end uh, will be able to say, well, I didn't know. Or I never heard about that. Or nobody told me about the kingdom. Nobody uh, expressed to me the love of God. Everybody will be without excuse and will have every opportunity to confess Jesus as Lord. That is our responsibility and our decision as a part of our response to the preaching of the good news of the kingdom of God. Well, if the word is going to go forth, we know then that it's going to demand a response. The Word of God always demands a response. It always demands that you make a response, either in receptivity to it or uh, a a hardness or an opposition to it. Every time the Word goes forth, it will uh, present to you an opportunity to either receive it as the Word of God, regardless of how challenging, regardless of how new, regardless of how Uh, 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 you know, maybe against our doctrine or thinking or denominational background or what have you. The Word of God is always going to demand a response from us. And So we've been talking about think time. We've been talking about meditating on the Word. And meditation is not the hearing of the Word, but it is your response to it. Will you continue to give it attention in your life? Will you continue to uh, mull over it, think over it? Uh, uh, present yourself to it, keep it in front of you. Joshua said, observe, uh, observe the law of God day and night, meditating on the word day and night, observing to do all that is written therein. And so as the gospel's going forth, we have to recognize this, it's always going to demand a response from me. It's always gonna demand a response to me. And I'm, And I believe that the word that is produced in our life has a direct correlation to our initial response to it. The production of the word in your life directly correlates and is greatly determined by your response to it. The word of God cannot prove effective and productive in your life if you are not receptive to it. You following me? If I'm not open, receptive, teachable, uh, correctable, um, if, if I am not being... Uh, in a position of receptivity to the Word of God, then it cannot produce the results in my life that we know it is capable of producing. Amen so go with me to Acts chapter seventeen Acts chapter seventeen we 've been talking about the fact that you know honor is based on this idea of Think time, this idea of how we allow the Word of God to be processed in our lives after it is heard or after it is spoken. And let me just let me just go here. I, I haven't gone here a lot. We have focused uh, directly on the fact that we're honoring God by honoring His word and meditating on His word, giving His word time and processing it, thinking on it, dwelling on it, uh, studying it, He continuously hearing it, habitually staying in the word. But let me just tell you, this is also how you can honor one another. If your spouse speaks a thing and you immediately reject it and you put it out of your mind, you you close her or him off, you, you are not honoring your spouse. Your boss comes to you and you immediately reject it. You immediately, how you treat their word is how you treat them. Okay? So this, this fact of honor that we're looking at and giving it think time, even if it doesn't resonate with you immediately, the idea that, you know what, I'm, I'm going I'm to jot those things out, I'm going to think on that. That doesn't mean that we're going to come to agreement. That doesn't mean that I'm going to see it your way. But I'm going to give I honor you. I'm going to consider it. I'm going to look at it. I mean, the greatest way you can dishonor someone is just to immediately reject what they have to say and never even give it time to, to think on it, dwell on it. Okay? So this, this this correlates over to our, you know, we have our heavenly relationship with our heavenly Father going, Vertical, but we have a ton of relationships horizontal on this plane that we are disengaging and dishonoring in our life because we immediately just reject their word. We don't want to hear. We don't think on it. We don't dwell on it. We don't even consider it. And they have no place of honor in our lives. But in the ministry of Paul, you know, Saul... Uh, was one that persecuted the church, um, persecuted Christians, was having them put in jail, beaten, persecuted, uh, murdered. You know, he stood by while the apostle Stephen um, was murdered right in front of him. They were laying their coats down at the feet of a man named Saul, uh, a devout Pharisee, um, but was greatly mistaken in his mission and greatly mistaken in his zeal and his passion. And of uh, of course, he had that great conversion experience being knocked off his horse on the road to Damascus and and Jesus confronting him and saying, now you're going to be a catalyst for my mission. Now you're going to serve me, truly serve me. Um, And and it's going to come with persecution on your part. It's going to be difficult. And so wherever Paul went on his missionary journeys, if you read in the book of Acts, he was met with all kinds of responses. He was met with those that were gladly welcoming of what he had to say. Uh, He was met with those that would, uh, you know, weren't so excited about it initially, but would give some time to study it. And then he was met with those that would just immediately reject. And even some that would go in behind him, and rouse up the crowd against him and undo all the work that he had just done in that community. Many times, he was run out of those cities. Many times, uh, he was removed by force from those cities. And we obviously know the the persecution resume that Paul had, all the beatings, all the sufferings, all the uh, shipwrecks, being left for dead, uh, being... Uh, uh, neglected and abandoned by those closest to him, um, being attacked by those in his own group—I mean, he he endured it all. Amen. But we want to look here in Acts chapter 17 at an account where uh, Paul takes his ministry to Thessalonica. Thessalonica, this the letter he ended up writing to the Thessalonians is First and Second Thessalonians. And here in Thessalonica, we see a contrast of the type of receptivity that these individuals had to the word of God when Paul ministered. And it gives us a picture and gives us an image of how we ought to receive the word or how you could possibly receive the word in your life. And maybe you'll find yourself in one of these two categories and uh, we'll go from there. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 1, It says, after they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue, as usual. So this was something he did on a regular basis. This wasn't anything new. He did this consistently. When he'd go to a new community, he would start with his group, his people. He'd find the Jewish synagogue. Remember that Jesus said, I came to minister uh, uh, specifically to the Jews, but you, I'm sending to Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part. It's not going to stay with the Jews. But Paul would start with his people, those that ought to have understood what he was ministering, ought to have had a value for the Messiah, for Jesus, for the crucifixion and the resurrection. And he would start in the Jewish synagogue Try to build up a group that he could build a foundation on and then take it into the rest of the community. And and, and every community that Paul went into was messed up in some way, shape, or form. And so is yours. So is Valhasta. So is Hayhira. So is Madison. So is Lake Park so is Georgia, and so is the Southeast region of the United States, so is the United States of America. Every region, every part of the world has some sort of stronghold that the Word of God comes up against and has to combat and has to disrupt. And there are strongholds in this community that I believe are being broken. There are strongholds that have remained in this community that that are being torn down by a true kingdom message, but that doesn't mean it won't be met with opposition. Doesn't mean it won't be met by those that don't like what you're doing. And so Paul goes in here and he he, he starts with the Jewish synagogue. As usual, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbaths they reasoned with them from the scriptures. It says in verse 3, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus. I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks, as well as a number of the leading women. So upon speaking for three days in a Jewish synagogue, he has now formed a solid base of believers, of brethren, that he can now go into the rest of the community and begin to speak and minister, preach the kingdom of God, the message of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it says in verse 5, But the Jews became jealous. So some of his own people. Sometimes we think that the opposition that we're going to receive Uh, is going to come from outsiders and those that don't know any better. Some of the greatest opposition and, and the greatest lack of receptivity to the Word of God is right in our own camp. It's right in our own circles. It's right in the midst of the brethren. And the Jews became jealous, and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Attacking Jason's house, they searched for them to bring them out to the public assembly. And when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. We've heard about you. We've heard about the disruptions. We've heard about your message. We've heard about your preaching. We've heard about all these other uh, stops that you've made and all the other people you've ministered to. And now you're bringing that mess into our community. These men who have turned the world upside down, and Jason has welcomed them, they are all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Jesus. Notice that they used an angle that people still use today by politicizing the message of the kingdom of God. They began to tug at the hearts of people that would feel um, um, intimidated and feel reproached upon by making it a political statement. These people are here, uh, you know, telling us that there's an overthrow of government and that there's another king. And, And by appealing to their political senses, knew that they could start a riot and raise an uproar in the community. It says the crowd and city officials who heard these things were upset. And after taking a security bond from Jason and the others, they released them. So notice. So far, we have two responses. We have those that have been persuaded. They heard the explanation and the proving. Notice that Paul went as far as to explain and prove the mission of Jesus, the mission of the kingdom of God, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this isn't just lip service. He's come to them with a firm persuasion. He's come to them with a full confidence and a full conviction in what he's preaching. He's gone as far as to explain and to prove. We have some that have responded with a receptivity to the gospel. We have some that have responded with what we've been talking about in honoring. They they, they listened and they're processing and they're receiving what Paul is bringing. But then we also have a group here that is uh, objected to Paul's message in direct opposition and they want to do something about it. You ever notice that typically people in opposition, not only, they they cannot, they they can't just settle for, "Uh, I disagree. They have to voice their disagreement, cause an uproar, and gather others to disagree with them. You ever notice that? This happens a lot. I can't disagree by myself. I got to have others that disagree. And I have to persuade others to come alongside me and disagree with me to create enough of an uproar to throw these men out. If you are so confident in what you believe was true, then just leave it alone, right? Maybe they're not so convicted. Maybe they're not so confident. Maybe we've hit a spot on the inside that now I have to create something bigger to outnumber and outweigh the message that's coming in so they create this uproar, they, create, they, they cause a, a riot within the streets, they, they manipulate and they twist the message of Paul and say uh, he's speaking on political terms and, 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 and had to bring up overthrow of government, and they're talking about another king that we should serve and submit to. Again, the response to the word. We got two different contrasting responses here from these Thessalonians. Now keep on going to verse 10. Soon, as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. For their own safekeeping, for their own safety, they said, you need to get up out of here. <laughs> it, it, it's getting hostile. They're going to do something crazy. I mean, you know, we, we know these people would go to, to, to any extent to see the message of the kingdom stopped. They'd have them thrown in jail. They'd have them beaten. They'd even have them killed. And then with the fact that now they're involving the government side of things, there there is a great threat to Paul and his ministry. So the brethren gather him and they say, look, you need to go ahead and depart. We're going to send you to Berea. Berea is another community within Thessalonica. And upon arrival... They went into the synagogue of the Jews. Did the same thing that he's done in the previous stops. I'm going to go into the synagogue among my own company, among my own people. I'm going to start there with this message. I'm going to build this foundation, and then we're going to spread the gospel of the kingdom throughout this region. And it says here in verse 11, look at this. The people here were of more noble Character. I don't know about you. I want to be of more noble character. Compared to what? Compared to those in Thessalonica. The people here were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica since they received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily, to see if these things were so. They received the word with eagerness, and they examined the scriptures daily. I want you to know this is the group you want to find yourself in. This is the group you want to be. You want to be in the more noble character. The New King James says that they received it with all readiness. Now, the Bereans were not gullible. They didn't just, oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, I believe you. They didn't flip to the other side where they just believe everything they heard. But it says that they examined or they searched the Scriptures for themselves to determine if these things were true, to see if these things were true that Paul is ministering is so. Now, the Bereans have an attitude and a posture of heart. So you have to understand that our response to the word always begins with the posture of our heart. If you do not have a teachable heart, your hearing is corrupted, your seeing is compromised, You will not effectively receive the Word of God in its truth. You'll receive it through your lens. You'll receive it through your denomination. You'll receive it through your background. You'll receive it through your education. You'll receive it through your study. Yeah. The Pharisees, they knew too much to believe in the Lord Jesus as their Messiah. He didn't fit their box. He didn't check their box. He didn't fit the mold. He didn't come as they thought he ought to. And Jesus, go read Matthew chapter 23. Jesus has some harsh words for the Pharisees. Harsh words for their lack of receptivity to his ministry and to his mission. And they ultimately put to death and crucified Jesus. They ultimately removed him from the planet. Or so they thought. But they're... Their response to the ministry of Jesus was the complete opposite of those that were uneducated, unlearned, just received the ministry of Jesus for what it was. Well, these Bereans, they're not gullible people. It says that they went and examined. Now, here's the thing. They are not studying Scripture and examining Scripture to come up with uh, an objection to what Paul is saying. Why? Because of the posture of their heart. If your heart is wrong, if the posture of your heart is incorrect, you will only go to the Scripture to manipulate it and form a a personal opinion and get it to side with what you think the Word should say. And that's what a lot of people do. Oh, sure, they can give you Scripture to, to... formulate their position and to show you where they stand? Sure, they can. I mean, if you want to, you can take any Scripture out of here out of context and make it say whatever you want. We've done it for generations. Just within Christianity alone, there's hundreds of thousands of denominations. What does that mean? There's a hundred thousand different ways people have seen and viewed the Scripture in 2,000 years of having it on this planet. Sure, you can develop a lens. We want a kingdom lens. We want the lens of the kingdom of God. We want to see the word for what it is and for what it says. And I don't want to come to a conclusion that's outside of what it says. But if my heart is incorrect, and I'm not in a posture to receive, to learn, to grow, to draw, to be taught something. I'm telling you, if you come through these doors... Valuing what you already know more than what you could know or should know or could learn don't even come. Because it's only going to harden your heart. It's only going to strengthen, oh, that's what they believe. That's what they say. That's what they preach. And you'll only go back to the Word to substantiate your viewpoint. You'll only go to the word to build your foundation and your belief system, because we value that greater than what the word actually says. But no, these Bereans, it says that they receive the word with eagerness. Right there, that's the posture of their heart. I, I you know, I, I'm just, I want to know. You know what I have found with hungry people? What I have found with people that they just want to, they just want to learn, they just want to grow. Their heart is just open. Now, sure, we have to be careful that we're not just gullible and just receiving anything and everything. That's why we go back and we confirm it. The Bible says, let the word be confirmed by two or three. Even the word itself needs to be proven out in multiple places. Can't just take one instance and say that's the word of the Lord and we don't have a recurring theme. And I'm telling you right now, the word of God from beginning to end never contradicts itself. Never, not one time. That's what's so powerful about the Word of God. You got over 40 different authors and not one of them disagrees with you. And we're talking over thousands of years this book was written. And not one time do they contradict one another, disagree with one another, attack one another. It builds on itself. It's the same theme from beginning to end. But at the end of the day, it was the posture of their heart that determined the receptivity to the Word of God. They received it with eagerness. Do you receive the Word with eagerness? Do you receive the Word with an openness? Do you receive the Word with a a posture and position of my heart that says, Lord, if, if I see something here that I've never seen before, please, I do not want my idea my agenda, my lens to be the thing that gets in the way. You have to be in a position where you could show me I'm wrong by the Scripture. Not because you say it, not because you believe it, but by the Scripture. And I will respond accordingly. See, that's honor. That's honor. Our approach to how we hear Our approach to how, what what is the posture of our heart as we're hearing the word of God. I know there's times I've been in services where as as it's being ministered and as there there will be things that will try to come up in me to immediately begin to discredit what I'm hearing. And what I've learned to do in those moments is to write things down and ask questions go back to the Scripture and seek it out. If the Scripture can confirm what I'm having questions about or what I'm hearing that might not completely align with what I believe, then I'm going to alter. Oh, this is the big one because it's a pride killer. So a lot of us are just way too prideful to admit that we could ever be told something in Scripture differently than how we've learned it, how we've been raised, what we've been taught. Pride is the killer. Pride is the thing that will—pride brings destruction to everything. I was just watching a video today, and he, the individual was saying, Pride is the reason why marriages end up in divorce. Pride is the reason uh, why, why we have uh, uh, you know, uh, ministries that fail. Uh, churches that fail, churches that split. Uh, Pride is the reason why you won't let go of forgiveness and hold an offense to someone. It's pride. It's I've got to win. I've got to be right. I've got to be on top. My, My position has to stand. Until we come to the word of God saying, I don't have a position other than what the king says. Until the posture of your heart is that open, that teachable, we run great risk of dishonoring, rejecting God's word, and ultimately running into deception. I mean, when the Bible says many will fall away, that's not a joke. That's going to happen. And that's the brethren. We're not talking about lost people. We're not talking about unsaved people. Many will fall away. Believers. You can't fall away from something you once held to And so it says that they received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Verse 12 says, consequently, many of them believed, including a number of the prominent Greek women as well as the men. Notice who's believing in both of these categories. We've got we've got Greek, we've got outsiders, women, Greeks, Gentiles, those that fall outside of the category of who Jesus initially came to minister to. The ones that should have been the the most receptive are actually the ones that became the most destructive. Because look at the next verse. But when the Jews from Thessalonica found out that the word of God has been proclaimed by Paul, at Berea. They came there too, agitating and upsetting the crowds. They couldn't even leave it alone. They, they, they couldn't even handle the fact that we've already thrown him out of our community. We hear he's over there. Guys, let's go to Tifton. He's up at Tifton now preaching. We're Everybody load up, get in the van. We're going to Tifton. We're kicking him out of Tifton. Oh, you go to Atlanta, we'll kick you out of Atlanta too. You go into South Carolina, we'll get you out of... They are just following Paul around, agitating and rousing up the crowd, denying everything that he's been ministering along the way and becoming a thorn in his flesh. Everywhere he goes. he, he, He goes to minister, and now these groups, they're not okay that he's out of their town. They've got to go to the next one and throw him out of there too. And I tell you, when when you get in a a posture of hardness of heart, when you get in a posture where you're no longer receptive to the word of God and you value your belief system over the word, it puts you in, in such a dangerous place. You do some of the most crazy things to maintain your posture and your position. Agitating and upsetting the crowds. They weren't searching the scripture to find fault with Paul's message and then determined, oh, you know, what What he's saying is right. No, they they had an open heart with readiness and eagerness to receive and then studied the scriptures with an openness, allowing the Holy Spirit to guide them and lead them. I mean, every time I have a conversation with someone that may disagree or may have uh, an an objectionable posture or position on something in the word of God, we go to the word. I don't want to hear about your experience. I don't want to hear about your denomination. I don't want to hear about your favorite author and teacher and podcaster. I don't want to hear about any of those people. We're going to the Scripture. You're going to have to show me in the Scriptures. Oh, well, you know, anybody could get anything. No, the Scripture is simple and clear. When you let the Holy Spirit guide you and direct you, But when you remove the Holy Spirit from the equation, and now it has to register with your intellect, it has to agree with your reason, it has to be reconciled with your ideas and your plans. and and, You know, know, honestly, uh, many of the things that people have a difficulty with in the Scripture are things that they can't mentally and naturally wrap their mind around. That's what it comes down to. Oh, you want me to explain this so well that your flesh understands it. Last time I checked, the Word was alive, living, and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between soul and spirit. Last time I checked, we're not trying to appeal to your flesh. In fact, the moment my flesh agrees with what I see in the Word, I'm wrong. It should be so disruptive to my flesh It should be so countercultural. It should be so unnatural. I had someone tell me that, you know, speaking in tongues, it just doesn't seem natural. It sure isn't. It's supernatural. It's the most unnatural thing you should see. Because your natural talk is all jacked up. Absolutely, it's unnatural am I really trying to reconcile my mind with with a shepherd boy that kills a giant with no battle experience a man that builds an ark and the uh, uh, waters flood the earth and there are only eight people left with a man that cannot have children a hundred years of age is bearing a father of many nations uh, 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 a murderer that goes into a land that he's been uh, uh, excommunicated from delivering the I mean the, the 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 signs and the wonders and the supernatural exploits in the Word of God, and we act like this is just a storytelling fairy tale. This is real life. I'm not trying to reconcile this with your flesh. I'm not trying to make you feel good. I'm not trying to get your mental thinking around. I'm trying to get your mental out of the way. Stop thinking so much and believe. We're not trying to reconcile this by the flesh. I just, I, I can't accept that. You shouldn't, but your spirit does. Your spirit on the inside saying, that's it. That, we got it. And man, the more it challenges my flesh, the more I know I'm on the right track. The more it challenges my mental capacity to understand it, the more I know I'm moving in the right direction. I'm not trying to conv- convince my brain. In Acts chapter 17, moving on down to verse 32, he goes on and he ministers. Verse 22 through 31, he's he's ministering there. He's explaining the gospel and and the message of the kingdom. Verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him. No honor. Remember what we've been talking about, despise. That's despise. That's reject, refuse. Treat as worthless and unimportant, right? All we've been talking about the last couple weeks about despising. They despise by ridiculing him. But others said, we'd like to hear from you again about this. So Paul left their presence. However, some people joined him and believed, including Dionysius, that person a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Okay? Go to 1 Thessalonians. Now, this is the letter that Paul has written to the Thessalonians. And listen to some of the words that he writes to them, encouraging them. The posture of my heart. They received it with eagerness and readiness. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting with verse 1, For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, As you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. I'm telling you right now, one of the greatest catalysts to the message of the kingdom and to the church in general is opposition. It's not the fact that everybody just eat, you know eagerly and readily receives what we have to say but sometimes it's the opposition and the challenge in your life that can strengthen you and embolden you for the mission that God has called you to just as much as those that are receptive and welcoming and and are are, are urging you and, and and that you have to you have to be open to this as a minister of the gospel and we are all ministers of the gospel in some way shape or form I mean I thank God for those that That after a service or or, you know, may, may encourage me later on, say, man, that word that you ministered, that was such a great word. It did, it, it did this, and, and and I received this, and, and I sent it to so and so. I mean, that, that's encouraging. I love receiving that, but just as much as when people reject it, when people refuse it, when people ridicule it, when people mock it, when people leave, uh, when, when, when people come to a vision partnership class, and then we tell them that we are a church that believes in the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking, and they say, man, we're out of here. We don't want any of that, fine. It only implores me more to a greater degree to continue doing what I'm doing. It doesn't discourage me. It doesn't weaken my mission. It doesn't say, well, guess we ought to hang it up. They don't want to hear that, so we'll just go on to the... No. I'm encouraged by it. I'm just as encouraged by that as I am by people that... Thank you so much. Because it's the mission of God for my life. And Paul is saying here, In Philippi, we were treated ridiculously. I mean, go read what happened in Philippi. The whole midnight, you know, praise and worship session that took place. The acapella session with the gates swinging open. That's Philippi. They got treated real bad there for saving a girl that was demon-possessed. For doing good, they were thrown into jail, persecuted. And so he says, after that took place, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition, that opposition we just read about. For our, ex- for our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. And now Paul breaks down his motive for ministering to them. Now he breaks down. This is the whole reason why we came to you. This is the whole reason why we wanted you to know the gospel of the kingdom. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. So ultimately, he's putting it back on the people and saying, look, we weren't ministering to you for our own gratification, and we weren't ministering to you to please you, and so that it would be uh, 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 something that you could receive. We're just bringing you the gospel. It's on you to receive it, and ultimately, God sees your heart. God knows how you receive the word that I minister to you. God knows the posture of your heart right now. God knows the posture of your heart right this very instant. But rather, God who examines our hearts, for we never used flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness, and we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. He maintains that that our posture to minister to you, our posture to deliver the gospel to you, was not for our own glory, not for our own promotion. Uh, uh, not so uh, that we could, uh, you know, have a feel-good opportunity. We know that when we carry the message of the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom, that it's going to ruffle feathers. It's going to disrupt some things. I mean, think about Jesus' ministry. I mean, Jesus came in with the direct approach to disrupt what was going on. That was specifically his mission. That's why he had to start out by saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent means to change your thinking. Repent means to side with my party. But to repent, repent is twofold. Not only am I siding with his party, but I have to reject and lay down mine, my idea. You can't have both. Can't have both. So, he says that we came to you with the purpose and the focus that you would receive something. Jump down to verse 13. This is why we constantly thank God because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, listen. When you received the word of God that you heard from us. He's talking to the group we just read about in Acts. Acts was the the live scene taking place. Now this is the letter that he's writing back to that church that he built and developed there. He says, because you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is the word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe, which also works. What did we say when we started this whole thing? If I don't work the word, then the word won't work for me. But now the word is effectively working in their lives. Why? Because they received it. They welcomed it. Now, the Greek word for welcome doesn't just mean to simply, oh, yeah, we we let you talk. We listened. No, the Greek word for welcome means this, respected, revered, and embraced respected revered and embraced it also means this to examine and teach so now not only are they hearing it studying it they've even take, they've even taken it a step further and are now teaching it to others to examine and to teach To instill through teaching and practice. To instill through teaching and practice. All of that is in that one word, welcomed. You welcomed it. You revered it, respected it, embraced it. You then studied it and examined it. You practiced it, meaning you put it into practice in your lives, and you went a step further and are now teaching it to others. That's the level that the, Th- that, that the Thessalonian church received the word of Paul. So which group do you want to be a part of? Which group do you want to be identified with? You welcomed it, not as a human message, but as it truly is the word of God, which also works effectively in you. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, since you have suffered the same things, watch this, from people of your own country. What did Jesus say? A prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown with his own people. And he's, he says, man, now you're suffering things from your own community. That's why I said on Sunday after uh, uh, Shelly ministered and, and, and we saw all those born again, or all those baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then the Lord told me, share with them that he has not given you a spirit of fear, a spirit of timidity. Why? Because the first thing some of these people were thinking is who I can't talk to now who I can't tell about the experience that I've just had because they won't believe me. They're thinking I'm one of those crazy people. And, and, and all of a sudden, and it's usually the people closest to you that you're thinking, you could care less what a stranger thinks, right? What's my mom going to think? What's my husband going to think? What are my kids going to think? We're thinking of the ones the closest to us. Well, he's saying here, you suffered the same things from people of your own country, just as they did from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and persecuted us. Ultimately, he says, if you're being persecuted by your own people, you're in good company. Jesus did. We are, and so will you. Isn't that what Jesus said? Isn't that what Jesus told his disciples would take place? They displease God and are hostile to everyone. Now he's putting them on warning of those that are going to disagree, and they're not just going to disagree, but they're going to try to discredit and try to disprove, and they're going to be a thorn in their side, and they're going to try to come up and disrupt everything that they're saying and everything that they're ministering and everything that they're believing. I mean, the, the, the challenge and the opposition that comes to someone um, after they receive a powerful encounter from the Lord or receive something from the Word that might not be as agreeable in a region or in a community, uh, I mean, it's, you're, you're, you don't want to share, you don't want to talk about it because you know what it's going to do. You know the challenge and the opposition it's going to bring. But he's letting them know. They displease God, they're hostile to everyone, by keeping us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. As a result, they are constantly filling up their sins to the limit, and wrath has overtaken them at last. Wrath has overtaken them. Who? Those that oppose, those that reject, those that despise, those that refuse, those that dishonor. And now they're rallying, they have a rally cry to shut down the message of the gospel. Colossians chapter 3 verse 6. Colossians chapter 3 verse 6 in the Amplified, it reads this way. Because of these sinful things that the divine wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience, who are the sons of disobedience? Those who fail to listen, they won't even give, they won't even honor by giving you time to talk. Fail to listen? And that doesn't even mean you're in the company of those that hear. That means that as it's being spoken, you're immediately rejecting it, throwing it out, discrediting those who fail to listen and who routinely and obstinately disregard. God's precepts. The sons of disobedience are those who fail to listen and who routinely and obstinately disregard God's precepts. What's our receptivity to the word? What category do we find ourselves in? And these two contrasts, in those that rejected, refused, despised, and even caused rallies and riots... Or do we find ourselves in the position where we receive with eagerness? I'm hungry. Man, I just want to learn. I just want to grow. I just want to know. Lord, show me. If I'm missing it, show me. If I'm doing it right, show me. I'm teachable. I could be corrected. I could be told I'm missing it. I'm blowing it. I just want to be in right standing with his word. And I want to receive it with eagerness. Examine it. Right? I tell y'all all the time. Don't believe anything we preach just because we preach it. When you get to heaven, you can't say, well, Pastor Mark said. <laughs> that won't work. in the scriptures. Study it out for yourself. To know what the word of God says. We need to have the right posture of heart when the word is being ministered.